Hello, socialites, and welcome back to the Social Studies Podcast, the podcast where we study being social by being social. I'm not a good singer, and we're just going to accept it. No stranger to the podcast. Clinical child psychologist. Is that right? Do I say clinical child psychologist or just child psychologist? Give me all the titles. I'll take them all. Here to drop bombs of knowledge on us today. My very good friend, Dr. Jody Carrington. Joey, I cannot believe you're having me back for five, five times. Listen, this is going to be the best one we've done yet. I can just feel it. It's going to be the best one yet because you're coming to us live from Vancouver Island in Victoria in a little makeshift podcast situation. Absolutely. And we are so ready with the headsets from the Nintendo game from my sons. (laughs) And I'm feeling very saucy. So buckle up. So that drawing behind you, can we talk about that? Yeah, the, this is my former fifth graders. This was one of my best classes ever. This, this is my best class I've ever had. This is them. And they're oh. actually, they're all on the back. Oh, look at them. You know, this was the dream team. This was that class that you get that like you never get again. You get them once every like 10 years. And they were just, they were un- unbelievable. So I do a lot of speaking like you do. Yeah, and I uh, I was talking about that class to a school district that I was working with, and I told them when you get that group and you don't push them past their own limits, you're doing a disservice to them. Right. If you're only teaching them the baseline curriculum that you're supposed to, you're only doing a disservice to them. And this class was so capable of more. I took them on seven field trips that year because they could handle it. It was amazing. And so was it, did it have anything to do with where you were at in your life, your belief in them? I wonder so much of the time we put this on the kids, like it was this group, it worked. And sometimes we get like that in teams, like in organizations. If you think about in any school that you've worked in, sometimes it is just the right people and they're in a healthy space and all those things. But I wonder a little bit sometimes about if it is where the adults are that can bring that out in the babies. That's what I wonder a little bit is, were you in that sweet spot as an educator earlier in your, like, where was it in your career? What was the magic sauce to get that? Do you just like hope on a wing and a fucking prayer that it's going to be the, you step into that classroom, you're like, come on, Jesus. And like within two weeks, you're like, Jody, I have to tell you, I love the theory that you're going with here, but it was like the opposite. Like I was actually in a terrible spot in my life. Like I had just ended a relationship and I also, this is really funny. This year, this school year, I had been pursuing comedy at this point for about five years. Okay. And I hadn't really done anything. I really wanted to move further in in entertainment and I had a really sad conversation with my parents. Ooh, I'm getting a little like emotional that I was going to give up because I told them, I said, I think the train left the station. I think I'm too old. I think that this happens for people when they're very young. I think that I'm just immersed in my career of teaching. I don't think people want to hear about what I, my life experiences. And I think it's done. I think it's a pipe dream. And then the very next school year is when I blew up 
No way. Yeah, I my so my neighbors were at the table too, and they still talk about that. Do you remember when you were sitting at the table and you said you were too old and you weren't going to make it and all that? And I'm like, that's crazy. But that was this school year. This class was like my saving grace. Like they were, they kept me going. I had so much fun with them. Amazing. And they weren't the class that did the spelling bee. Nope. This is the class before that class. Wow. And isn't that great about how things align to propel you even in your worst moments? If you think about maybe let's go with that theory that like they knew you were on the verge of greatness and they were like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Now the spelling bee class was, they were great too. No doubt. They could handle a lot. This this class could just handle more. This Mm -hmm. class worked together as like a unit. You never get this where every kid had their own unique part to the team and they contributed to each other. And if I said jump, they said how high and they always met me like where I needed them to go and then went further. It was like like they would encourage each other when one of them was having a bad day. Like it was the dream team. You, It's rare, but you do get it in your career. So if there's any oh. like first year teachers listening, your first year is going to suck. My first year was the second worst class I've ever had. My very first year. And can we talk about your worst? How do you define a worst class? And please fuck don't ever let my kid be in somebody's worst class. That's all I'm thinking as a parent in this moment. Yeah, my... We're going to get into this, Jode. My worst (laughs) class, my worst class was my 10th year. And it was the year that I tell you about all the time. You guys, Dr. Jenny Carrington, I have to go back and do your intro anyway. It was, she wrote an amazing book called Kids These Days, which reflects on so much about how to relate to children. My 10th year, that was the year that I told you that I read Kids These Days one year too late. Mm -hmm. So my 10th year had so much trauma. The kids had so much trauma and then they were trauma bonding in a bad way and their trauma was just spiraling. And I didn't realize at that point in my career that there comes a time where you as the educator have to sit back and say, I can't do it. I need help. I, the adult, need to be taken care of too. And I didn't. So it was so difficult. And the saddest part about that class is I was also trying to advocate for the kids who were in that environment, who were not being taken care of, who were capable, who were just going along with the motions, who were okay. And they got minimal time of my attention. And I felt bad for those kids. And then whenever I would say to administration, like, I need help so that these other kids can learn too, because they want to learn and they're able to extract the information and administration would say, oh, they're fine. And I'm like, this is the education system's broken. So that was the worst. Can I draw a parallel between those two experiences? So would you say that best year, relatively speaking, if we define trauma as an entity, that group that was the worst had the most significant struggle, whatever trauma is, it's loosely defined in so many ways. But if I think about the degree of struggle, that worst year group had versus the degree of struggle that those little hands behind you represent. Would you say that if you were to score the worst year, those kids struggled more than so the group behind is, you? So more of them struggled. Okay. Their, their struggles, I had worse struggles. The worst struggle ever was actually in this class. One. Just one. Okay. So let's talk about then the cumulative effect that happens in a classroom when many babies 
struggle significantly. And the expectation is of one person to regulate the emotion of kids. When you have one that struggles, it's a rally cry for the healthy people in either a team or a classroom to be like, we got it. Oh, look, Jesse's under the desk again. What do we do? Everybody's, we got it. Get him his water. Get him his stickies. Get him his whatever the fucking thing that helps him through. And everyone's, oh, and we get this kid and you're like, oh my God, I love America. And then you get the classroom where Jesse's under the table. Cindy's hanging off the fucking curtains. Ty is over here. And you're like, I hate you. Everybody is fucking bad. And then administration is, oh my God, I'm out. Okay. My point about so much of our work, yours and mine with educators, is that there is no critical, more critical time in the history of the free world as demonstrated by your career. That when we put more expectations on teachers, we have to forget about the kids and hang on to the big people. Because the problems collectively that our kids will experience in the classroom as a result of COVID and a mental health crisis that we're in the middle of will mean that more educators will feel like that 10-year person because the exponential increase, I think, of emotional dysregulation in our classrooms. And I think sometimes you can say, if you feel like overwhelmed, you, Joey, you were the same guy. Your experience has obviously shaped you differently, but you were an experienced tenured, not mm-hmm. tenured, but tenured under your belt teacher. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. And you had your resources were depleted completely and you had nobody there to catch you. You were still the most amazing fucking teacher as you are in this moment that you were at in that year 10. Those babies needed something from you that you didn't have enough to give. And so you start to then turn it inside. You start to then figure out why, what must it be? Maybe I'm depressed. Maybe it's because I'm a shitty teacher. Maybe I chose the wrong profession. <gasps> I see so many teachers get to this place where they're like, it's me. And no, it's not. When you're regulated, you, if you've loved this job at some point, it's still there. Oh, if totally. you were phenomenal and creative that. and you are can give to these kids and change lives and save lives, could I argue, when you're regulated, this job is, is holy work. And if you've chosen it, you've chosen it for a reason. Our biggest job as a society and in the culture of education, I think moving forward, is to be able to create systems where we love on teachers and remind them of their worth so that regardless of whether they have one kid who struggles significantly with trauma or 24, we now understand that our job is to look after that teacher and hang on and provide the resources because can we do hard things? Fuck yes. We're in North America. We can handle emotional dysregulation if you look after me. If you don't, you will see a massive exponential increase in things like emotional dysregulation in schools, like school shootings. Why is there a difference between Canada and the U.S. amongst school shootings? Let's just jump into it. (laughs) I can see your face. Uh my life. There's so many reasons around this for me, but it really, we do not even a very good job up here in Canada of looking after our educators. We do even better than, than the United States, I would argue. And if the teachers aren't okay, the little ones don't stand a chance. Full stop. The one thing that I always say too is, Jody, how often do you hear about teachers that say they're burnt out? I'm guessing every day. Every, as much as you do. And I think increasingly, So I think that's the thing that concerns me. So as a mom of three, you, if you are my kid's teacher this year, you will spend more time, more waking hours with them than I will in the run of a school week. 
I don't understand how, why it's taken us so long as a society or a culture or whatever entity you want to call it to talk about what, how incredibly holy it is to pour resources into our teachers, our education system, where they will spend more waking hours with our kids, notice emotional dysregulation, be aware of the struggles and the triumphs and the joys than I will as a parent. Huh? You become so critical in the village of raising my kids. I can tell you the difference, and you know this in your experience, but I can tell you, Mr. Seeley has undeniably, who you met Chance, created a mark on my twins' life, and he was their grade three teacher. They speak about him. That was two years ago. They speak about him all the time. If we see him in our community, they go mad. If they're like, oh, look at his daughter. Oh my God. Can we go see? Oh, like the, it is a visceral response to that human <laughs> who taught them grade three. Okay. And when I think about the visceral response that I've noticed my kid who maybe had I don't, I love all teachers, but the different response that maybe our oldest son has of a teacher that he had, I don't know, let's say three years ago. And if we see them in the community and they're like, do you remember that? Who is that guy? Quick side story about Mr. He's a fucking badass. Okay. You guys like, I love chance. So he was all of Jody's kids, third grade teacher. And basically all the bad bitches in fucking old Alberta. This is the guy, right? Listen, so he's doing this story. Jody kills me every time I hear it. He's doing a little like kids hear their parents like talking they, they, and all these parents are friends with this guy for real. So he's doing a little what do you know about me or activity or like something and oh, he has no. a daughter and someone said something like where's your wife or something and Jody's daughter goes out of nowhere. He has a husband and they have a daughter and she was born in a dish. <laughs> that is so funny to me. For the context of the life. So Mr. Seeley is gay, married to the most amazing man that we love in our community. And so we've had major conversations in our small town about what we talk about in classrooms. And this is your teacher. Here's what we know about him. And you're so lucky. And he's had a daughter and he's married to a man. And how do two, and this is like the big conversation we had about like, how do two men have a baby? And I was like, okay, so Aaron and I were like, how much do we, information do we give this very inquisitive grade three year? And I was like, it is, there was a certain surrogate and what's a surrogate and like how do you whatever and so I, basically I just surmised it that first of all like sometimes you can grow babies like in a petri dish that's how they start and I was like fuck I'm so deep into this now and so Chance calls me we didn't know each other very well and he's hey like sometimes I often like nobody really asks teachers straight teachers much about their life and he said so I really don't open with I'm married to a I'm gay I just like we don't you don't have to declare your sexual identity typically and I was like oh god what happened and he said I was just explaining today somebody asked me who my partner was and I usually just go yeah no like we've been married for a while and Olivia puts up her hand and says just a second. He doesn't have a wife. He has a husband. That means two boys were married and they have a baby, but they can't make a baby naturally. So Maeve was born in a dish. And I was like, oh, I said, I, none of that I wanted to share in rural Alberta. And I was like, oh, buddy. Just a second. 
he doesn't have a wife. He has a husband. And that means two boys. And also, and she said this to me afterwards, I don't know how I identify. I think I'm going to be straight, but right now I think I'm bi. <laughs> awesome. So I just have to tell you, that is was probably the proudest moment for me as a parent, that my kids can have conversations. And poor Mr. Seeley, I think I fucking near wrecked his career. Oh, my God. He's the cutest little button in the whole wide world. I think he's taller than me. <laughs> He is, and he's so beautiful, and I'm so happy to introduce the two of you because you remind me so much of each other. I'm literally, I cannot wait to get down, get up to olds. Anyway, yeah. speaking of Liv, Liv had me crying this week. Um, That's your daughter. She is, how old is she? She's nine. She's nine. And she is, she's pushing the buttons. Joe, so yesterday in Victoria, BC. First of all, before you start, I need you to know, I need you to know. The, you were so serious when you were telling the story today. And I was on the other side of my phone with tears down my face laughing. No. Like, yes, Jody, I'm so sorry. Jesus Christ. There I, was one thing that she said that you need to say. Because... Okay, if I don't get it right. So I wrote a national, let me just preface this. I'm a child psychologist by it. training. Yes, you're going to say it. I'm a child psychologist by training and I wrote a best-selling book called Kids These Days. And I always say this, if you watch me with my own personal children, you wouldn't buy the fucking book, which yesterday was a prime example. We are frolicking in a beautiful city by the ocean, by the sea, if you will. And we just got cod dogs at Redfish Bluefish, one of the finest little fucking restaurants in this little town. And I decided to say, she said, <laughs> Asher, I didn't tell this part, Asher's fat shaming me. And I said, excuse me, oh. you're nine. What, what is happening? And he's, she, he said that I should go down the slide first just to test it out. And I was like, buddy, let's really talk about what that term means, because I think that he just wanted to make sure he was. Anyways, so we got through that. She's you don't listen to me. And I was like, yes, I do. So she stamped away. And I was like, holy fuck, here we go. And somebody has said, good morning. Hi, are you Dr. Carrington? <laughs> oh, Hi. <in> moment. <laughs> fuck. Hi. Yeah, I said, excuse me for a second. I just have to go hang on to my daughter. And so I walked over to her and she's, you don't love me. Your favorite is the boys. And you always put me, I have to sit here by myself. You don't even care. And I said, Livia, I'm going to walk away from you right now in this moment, because this is unacceptable. You are not being very grateful. Nobody is not listening to you. Mommy loves you very much. And she's, I wish, I said, if you sit here by yourself, you might get kidnapped. And she stands up in the middle of this fucking harbor where everybody is around. And she says, I wish I got kidnapped because then you would see how much you love the boys more than me. And she, these days is a lie. So at this point, I think to myself, like I could forcefully grab her and put my fingernails into her <laughs> bicep and drag her past red fish fucking blue fish and have a come to Jesus. But I can't. I got to walk away, which further perpetuates the abandonment issues that she keeps screaming about. And her two brothers are like, Mom, you can't leave her here. I'm like, I know. <laughs> the okay, the part the part that gets me is kids 
know exactly how to get like right underneath your nail bed and she's been sitting on that one for a while and she goes your book that you wrote that's about my demographic is everyone listening is a lie that is just honestly so horrifically perfect i'm sorry that's terrible so then asher is i'll go sit with her yeah, so he goes and sits with her and then regulates her. And, and she I'm wants like, to be a priest or a comedian, everybody. Just so yeah, he he's, very, he's very into what I do, but wants to do it in a more godly fashion. Do the Catholics love the gays? Well, that was our question yesterday. Anyway, and um, <laughs> he's like, I'll sit with her. And I was like, Kate, you, you probably are the only thing I have left right now. So he sits down and has a, a conversation with her. And I come back over and he's directing me. He's 11. Mom, I think you should just give her some space. God. Like, how do people do that? You wait. You fucking wait, Mr. Dombrowski. I don't know what I'm going to do. You're going to be phenomenal, as we all are. And I think this is the point. We are all phenomenal, but we don't talk very much about, as educators, as parents, those moments where you question your sanity, your choice and profession, or whether you should have ever been involved, like whether you should ever have access to children. I think there is such a normalcy in that experience. And the more... And I don't know if everybody would say this in their generations, but I think that particularly what we can't lose sight of is just how dysregulated we are as a globe in this moment for so many reasons that leave us in this place sometimes of really questioning our ability. And the more we question our ability, the less we step into those hard conversations or those hard. If I tell the story that this classroom is shit and I can't handle it, or if I tell the story that she is the one, like the boys are easier to regulate or she is the one, that will come to fruition. So how, again, this is what I always say, despite the fact that the book is called Kids These Days, that I claim to be a child psychologist, I am a child psychologist, but uh, most of my work is with the big people because I will see your kid for as an assessment, but if the big people aren't okay, and I often say this to teachers, your relationship with the parents usually trump your relationship with the kids. Because if that is okay, then, or if that is stronger, if you put effort into that, they shore those babies up before they come to you. I was grateful every morning to have a conversation with the kids who were going to head into Mr. Seeley's class because they couldn't wait to get there and I couldn't wait to send them. And I felt very differently about another teacher where we would have conversations about just, we have three, three months left, but look at me, you can do this. It's going to be okay. And how different that is with the supportive relationship. And then this particular teacher I'm speaking about, they doubled down with me and started sending messages back and forth. And I loved on them. Like it was my job. And at the end of the year, it was like, Hey, this was, I'm so grateful. I had your son in our class. And I was like, here's what he learned from you. Yeah. This is what makes the difference. Jody, you're so spot on right now. It was amazing. And I just thought if he is struggling, or if my kid can pick up on this, that means that this teacher probably never hears that he's amazing either. So yeah. let that be my job. And honest to God, but I went on the field trip. Everybody who's listening, it's not lying. It's finding the positive and acknowledging it. And honestly, he, so we did a, I did a field trip with them and they, this was three years ago and they were, they were amazing. And I knew that even if your kid isn't the best fit with a particular teacher, it is like, how do you find the love on? How do you figure out how we navigate relationships that don't necessarily 
be perfect, right? Because honestly, we're not all going to get that teacher that is the perfect fit, that is the perfect thing, that is the whatever for our kids. So how do we then not become very divisive in that relationship and be advocates for our children and be like, we're going to take you down. I always say that to parents, like, how do we have those one-on-ones? How do you send a bottle of wine in the backpack? I can tell you, do you know how far a bottle of wine in the backpack goes? Just kidding. Not really. But how do you love on teachers. And I always say this, don't give end of year gifts. Who gives a shit when you're done with the kid's teacher? Don't wait till the end. You front load teachers. You front send the coffee cards in August and September. I always say teacher appreciation days every day. Every uh, day. This question is going to lead into, I think we'll just end up getting there naturally. You guys, Jody has, Jody runs an exceptional conference that I was a part of last year. It's called Relit. If you're liking what you're hearing her say, you, you will have an opportunity to attend. It's coming up and we'll give you more information on that at the end of the podcast. But Jody, I wanted to ask you too. So Relit reminds me of the word recharge, re-energize, reinvigorate, all of that. Okay. So often, and you and I have talked about this on the podcast before, and this is Jody's fifth time on the podcast, everybody. We've talked about how I, first of all, I think that one thing that we don't tell teachers specifically enough is that when you're experiencing burnout, it's acceptable to take a break or to make a shift, to make a change, to recenter yourself. So if you're not enjoying your time in fifth grade and you are thinking about leaving the profession, like you said earlier in the podcast, you chose this, you were good at it at some point. This is for you, right? Maybe it's time to think about challenging yourself to go to a different grade level. If you do that, you might be inspired, invigorated to keep going. Maybe it's time to maybe switch and use your skills to be an instructional coach for first-year teachers as a first-year mentor. Something that will continue. You're still working with the kids. You're still working in the profession, but you're taking care of yourself by making a shift. My question to you, Jody, is what do you, what do you say to parents who are experiencing burnout? You can't just leave your kids. Oh my gosh. Okay. So two things. Can I want to circle back to the teachers, first of all, before we say, try to fix it. Cause I think we want to do this all the time. Change the classroom, take a different position. No, no, no. First of all, let's acknowledge how amazing you are. Regardless of what you do, let's think about this. If you stop wherever you are right now, think about the top three kids you'll never forget. And Joe, we always get back to the same babe for you. But that when you, if you can think about five or 10, just let them rush into your head in this moment. I want you to know this like from the bottom of my heart, there is no question in my mind. They think about if you can get them in your head right now without very much prompting, they think about you 10 times as much. You are woven into the trajectory of so many kids' stories simply because you showed up. Not because you had the best fucking lesson plan, not because your bulletin board matched, not because you had fucking flare pens, whatever the deal is. It is because on any given day, you were the person that led them through a lesson. You were the person that smiled at them in the morning or gave them a fist bump or made a joke or apologized. It is in the quiet moments that you leave the biggest impacts. And regardless of trying to find that passion again, it really starts from, I will say, this sounds cheesy, but like in the middle of your soul about why you got into this in the beginning. And it was for those moments where you get the kid whose name is Stanley, flat fucking Stanley, who never looked at you all year. And in the last month of school gives you the nod and your heart that you broke that guy. 
And I mean, in all the best ways, right? That is why we do this work because it is often in the unseen moments, the unsung times where you are horrifically, beautifully impactful. Those are the times I want you to sit with before you choose whether it's time to take another because if it's not okay here, it won't be okay in the next team, the next school, the next whatever. And I think we try to fix this all the time by, by doing those things. Don't forget how critically important it is in this moment. And the same argument for me is with parents. When you get exhausted and overwhelmed and burnt out, there are three things that matter to me more than anything. If I'm going to be able to do this job of serving, I think I'm going to change the fucking world. Joey, you and I align so much because I think we have this relentless belief in our message and our ability to be, I was going to say, this is what I going to say, a gift to humanity. You're fucking welcome. But I feel like that so many times is that when you have humor, when you have, you're blessed with the privilege of humor and joy in your heart and a supportive system that allows us to do great things, supportive partners, supportive parents, you and I are both in that very privileged position, then I better fucking give to this world. And I, without a doubt, have to do these three things if I'm going to continue to do this thing that I know for a fact will impact this world as hard as it is. I need to hang on to me every single day. What does that look like? I have to be able to lean into my people, my breath, and get back to that reason why I do it. My people are this very small group that know me, know my middle name, know me without a title, believe in my dreams. The people who sat at that kitchen table with you, who can remind you of those moments when you're at your lowest. We have lots of friends. You can have lots of friends, but your people probably land on one hand. Five people, Aaron, Morgan, who are the things that can get me back. My best friend, my Rhea, who is no, no longer even on this planet. Those are the people who know me. Okay. The rest don't score. Number two, it's my breath. And I will tell you this, the biggest research around this process, when you're feeling burnt out, overwhelmed, questioning your ability to be a teacher or a parent, getting back in your physical body is, there's so much data that supports this. And I'm not a fan of fucking working out and doing yoga, but I will tell you that in my hardest moments, everything I need is centered in this soul. Mm -hmm. And if I can drop my shoulders, relax my jaw, wiggle my toes, and let my gut out, I will get back to everything I know to be true. And the last thing is really around this why, this passion, not just knowing your why, or Simon Sinek talks about starting with why, it is walking it. I believe when I am in my clearest, calmest moments that I can not only change trajectories of lives, today I can save them. And I walked down the street to get a coffee before I came here today. And I cannot tell you, I met two people this morning. One was starting the West Coast Trail by herself, this wonderful woman named Chandra, who came up to me and said, anyways, we had this conversation. And I said to her, you're going to crush this. This is going to be the most important experience of your life. I'm so grateful I got to see your face before you did this great thing. That was a moment that if I would have been in my head thinking about how fat I am or how I need to get my manuscript done or what is my relationship, what am I doing? I would have missed that. Do not forget that we are all just here walking each other home. That's a Ram Dass quote. We're all just here walking each other home. That's our why. And I can get to those things when I remember my people. There's a select few that matter. I have lots of friends, but there's a select few that really matter. My breath. Drop your shoulders in this moment and why we're fucking here. And if you are in a position of privilege in any capacity, which if you get to listen to a podcast in this day, you have some degree of privilege. 
Our job is to give it away to the best of our ability. That's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) I feel like a lot of the times too, young teachers don't really are not able to fully wrap their head around the capacity of parenting too. Like we work with kids, but we're not parents. And the one thing too, that I always say to young teachers is just remember that you are not the parent and the parent was the first teacher. If you can remember that and you can keep your eye on what your place is as the teacher versus your place as the parent, I think that helps you like through and through. And even with teachers who are parents, remember that even though you're having such a struggle in the classroom or a struggle at home with your kid, whatever it is, you have the ability to change what you're seeing before you with the Mm. other group, which is what this position is. I really love that. And I think, do you, what's this experience? Cause I've never taught in a K to 12 school. I cannot imagine. I think it's fucking amazing. Anyway, don't you feel like sometimes people, teachers just really fall in love with their students. They really become advocates for them. And in a way try to show the parents what they're not doing. I think sometimes like I get the intention behind that, which is I've spent all day with your kid. I've heard these stories about you. I know you didn't even send him with, you sent him with a fucking banana and no coat. And when you come to pick him up, I'm going to give you the old look at, this is how you do up their coat. And I've packed them a little snack. And how do we navigate the stories in our heads about what's going on at home? What's happening with these kids, especially when we are so connected to them and see the good in them and how difficult that is. Is that ever an experience that you have? Oh my God, all the time. And I think it comes down to, I think it comes down to two things. One, disconnect to connect. I don't know whose quote that is, but somebody, it's very popular now, disconnecting to connect. So getting rid of all external things that are keeping you from truly making connections. Yeah. That is huge. And I think the other thing too is just, you say it all the time in kids these days, you can't be your best if you're not recognizing within yourself what you need. And if you're not advocating for yourself and asking for what you need, you're not going to get it. So being honest, being real, whether it's with your partner or your principal about the time that you need for yourself can only make you better at the task that you're trying to accomplish. Totally. And I, can I uh, like, also, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make sometimes in, in organizations is to provide the time for self-care or yoga or like a mental health day. And Mm -hmm. I actually think it's bullshit because I want you to really think about in this season more than anything to do it on purpose, because I think sometimes teachers take those, like it's a mental health day. And what do you do the entire time, except check your email and fucking worry about how the sub is messing things up for you, right? A hundred percent. So how do we do this on purpose? How do you make sure that one of my best indicators of a healthy team is how much joy is, how much laughter there is in the staff room. And when you are as joy is the most vulnerable emotion on the planet, when we have somebody in a belly laugh, and this is often why comedians for me are the smartest people on the planet, because when you get somebody into a state of belly laughter, they are at their most vulnerable. It's not grief or sadness or fear where we are feeling our most vulnerable emotion. It's joy. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness is a state that we all allude to, which is fucking bad. And nobody's happy. Shut up. Nobody's happy. But joy (laughs) is the burst of emotion that if you have more of in your life, you will be happier. I feel like we're giving so many nuggets away. And I just want to remind people that 
if you like what you're hearing, you can get it on steroids. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, you can get it on steroids. I just wanted to take a quick shift and talk about relit in this capacity. Are these the types of things that people will be extracting from relit if they attend? Yeah. And I, so I'm so grateful to you and your love of teachers and relit because this is how it started for me. This is how we met is I started this speaking gig because I was consulting with schools. I wrote kids these days because I was consulting with schools. People would have me come in and talk about the bad kids. They would say, we have never ever in our 72 years of educational prowess. We have never seen a kid like he spits and he hits. And I would be like, okay, cool. Can I, can, I'd love to sit with your staff. Can you tell me more about this babe? And there would have been three educational assessments, psychoeducational assessments, 47 behavioral support plans, an IPP, an LMNOP, a QRS, a Vitra, Citra. And nobody knew this kid's middle name. Nobody knew what his favorite chocolate bar was or what level he was on Fortnite. And so we started to talk about when kids are acknowledged, they rise. And when I did that, I started to speak to school teams and then superintendents. And now we speak around North America about this process. And I wrote a book called Kids These Days as a, you already said that, and Teachers These Days with Lori Mack around the same process is how do we hang on to teachers who spend so much time with kids and talk about that perceptual shift. And so I created a day six years ago where we called Relit because I was like, God, every year when I see teachers in May and June up here in Canada, then we go to June, they're fucking done. And why don't we do better for teachers? Why don't we front load them at the beginning of the year so much better and give them a plan to hang on to? And that's how Relit was born. This is our sixth year. You've been a part of at least two of them. And it really is this place where we take on the hard conversations, not just a PD around let's feel good and clap our hands and blow up balloons, but really how do we step into this place where we have hard conversations around school shootings and burnout and marginalization, racism. Shelly Moore is going to join us this day, and she's an inclusive educator up here in BC. She is married to a beautiful woman. They just had a baby, and she she stops me in my tracks the way that she thinks about things. And so I really this year knew I needed to get only the best of the best. There's a group out of Seattle, Joe. I can't remember if we've talked to you about this, but they do a drag camp for a drag queen camp for kids who are identifying as trans and they bring them together. And it's part of the school to get them to connect to each other and build a community. And so we found teachers across North America that are doing remarkable things and we've storied them. So in this day, you get to sit and listen to this. And so you can come in person in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is worth the trip. Yes. Or we wanted to do it virtually again this year. And the only job is to bring people together because I know it'll make our job easier, my job easier in the days, weeks and months as we step into this mental health crisis where we hang on to teachers. And if we can serve them well, they'll serve our kids. Literacy numerously is the least of our worries for the remainder of our lifetimes in this business, because if the big people aren't okay, the little people don't stand a chance. Where do people go to find more and to attend if they'd like to go? So the virtual tickets are online at drjodycarrington.com and we do group rates for whole schools. Like you can take the day and use it as a PD. And so we've really encouraged schools to just, you know, at Rather than bringing in five speakers, you can get all of us in one package deal. And so there's group rates and everything that you need is on the website at jodycarrington.com. And we will, drjodycarrington.com, I think. And I'd love to work with your staff. If you are if you need me to talk to your superintendent about it, if you need me to talk to anybody who, who hangs on to people who support PD, listen, I wouldn't do it in a heartbeat. I just know how powerful this day is going to be. And I just, I cannot wait to watch it unfold. 
I've been a part hosted. of it. I've hosted. I can attest. It's the real deal. You, if you want to recharge, relit, remotivate, redo it, go, <laughs> attend, figure it out. You'll come back changed. It's super powerful. Even my my aunt who has nothing to do with education who listened to you on the podcast was very into the words that you say and attended and said she got so much out of it so that jody thank you so much for coming on the podcast five times a charm i love it you can find jody at dr jody carrington and all social media jode i just love you my sweet little peach i just love you thanks for coming on thanks for having me